Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. We ask this question, who are you most likely to see as a credible news source? One of the most common responses was that nobody, I trust my own instincts. I mean, one in three people say that's their most credible news source or their tribe, their family and their peers and their friends. And so we're living in this interesting post-truth reality. All of us are trying to work with a different kind of environment. Thanks for listening again to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio with Gabe. And Gabe, I'm excited that we're going to hear from your good friend David Kinneman, the head of Barna Research. You've partnered with Dave many times over the last 15 years, tracking trends and worldviews. Tell us about his talk we'll hear later in the show. We're going to have an awesome time listening to his talk that he delivered in the first session of Q this year to really help us better understand our context. You know, there's been a word that's described kind of the era that we find ourselves in. It's it's called post-truth, and it's defined as essentially making up our own truth, moving beyond what objective facts and reality have shown us, and people starting to rely on emotions, starting to rely on only their experiences to determine whether something's true or not. Now, as I mentioned, we'll hear David Kinneman's talk later in the show. When we listen to it, I'm sure we'll be challenged and at points maybe a bit overwhelmed by our post-truth era. But regardless of eras and worldviews, the gospel and us living it out in ways that excite the imagination will always be important. Let's first go back to Q2013 when, Gabe, you spoke in Los Angeles. It was the closing talk of the Q conference that year. And I think uh, for our listeners, it might provide some helpful encouragement and insight as we prepare to hear Kinnaman's talk. As I walk the streets of New York and look up and we see this huge towering building, I I feel at moments like I'm living truly in the shadow of the empire because it just sort of embodies this sense of we as human beings can just build something bigger and better and we're going to do it. You know, it's it's uh, I walk the streets and I see people rushing off to their jobs, their careers. I hear the talk on the subways of. People pursuing money, and you, you hear the traders talking about what they're going to do that weekend and, and the hedonism that John talked about. You just see it. You see it front and center. And I start to question, you know, what is the world our children are growing up in? What do we, what do, we do to think long term about where we're going as a society, but where as we as Christians, where can we contribute? Not just in the quick next one to two years, but the next 15, 20, 30 years. Um, I think instead of fighting the culture wars, we have to really think about something I would call the imagination wars, that we're all living within the midst of this moment, shaped by two competing imaginations. And we could probably list 10 or 20 different ways these imaginations kind of express themselves, but there's two dominant imaginations that are at war. And if we don't recognize that and we don't understand what's going on, I, I fear that that we won't know how to best deal with it. We won't know how to best live and understand how Christ has called us to live 
in this moment. Uh, the, the two ideas, they're, they're two competing ideas, and they both kind of started close to the same point in history. One was by a gentleman named Lucretius. Um, and if you look at the, uh, the, the story of Lucretius, you go back, it's before the times of Christ. And before Christ was here, he, he wrote this beautiful poetry on the nature of things. Some of you may have read it, maybe you've never heard of it. Um, but this, this idea that he started to promote was an idea that now has had resurgence in the last 500 years since the Enlightenment. And it's this idea that pleasure is the end of all men. Like the only reason we exist as human beings is pleasure. And I think in our world, this is what we're bumping into quite a bit. That the purpose of mankind, of humankind, of this life, no matter how long or short it is, is that we're to just pursue pleasure and we're to avoid pain. Avoid pain at any cost. Pursue pleasure if, in any way that you possibly can. And you know, the downside of that is if you stand in the way of somebody who's pursuing their pleasure, you're the evil one. It doesn't have to do with moral and immoral, right and wrong. It has to do with if you get in the way of me pursuing what I think is pleasure for my life, what I think is going to make me more comfortable, I'm just going to enjoy more, and you get in the way of that, you're evil. And some of you are on the end of that. You're being called evil right now because maybe you're saying something that stands in the way of someone's pleasure. Well, not too long after that, somebody else comes on the scene, and we all know the story here of Jesus right? The Jewish rabbi, who, the son of God, who comes on and starts to demonstrate a very different view, a very different imagination for the last 2,000 years of how we ought to think and how we ought to live. And it was a vision that wasn't about pleasure. It was about renewal. And it was about understanding renewal comes through the redemption of pain, and it comes through a life that's not lived in pursuit of pleasure for myself and my own selfish desires, but it's in a life that's been given to the pursuit of others to understanding that brokenness and suffering and pain is all part of what God wants to do to renew me. To recognize that the beauty of the gospel story, that the good news is that I recognize my brokenness and that I can't do this, I can't figure this life out on my own. And so I think we stand in a world now where we have these two competing ideas. Okay, there's two worlds. And media and your friends and the stories that we're telling, they're all competing and contributing to one of these imaginations. And so I ask you tonight to think about as we go out here, as we go our separate ways, as we go out for the next several months, maybe we won't see each other for another year, maybe two, maybe three. How are you starting to contribute to the imagination in our current context of culture that's giving people a new way to think about life, a new way to think about why we exist as human beings? Because what's overwhelming the airwaves, what's overwhelming the newspaper, what's overwhelming the magazine articles that we all read is that life's about a pursuit of pleasure, and it's getting in the way of, of an imagination that's actually much better for all of us if we can just embrace it. And that is that Christ has something much deeper, much richer, much more bold, but it's going to take our own courage. It's going to take us walking into it, trusting Him. And that to avoid pain actually leads us to a life of disillusionment, leads us ultimately to a place to where we realize that it's a dead-end road. But when we recognize that through Jesus, that the imagination that he wants for us and that our world will respond to is that we're not to avoid pain. We're to create renewal, and that means we're to be a part of redeeming pain. And that's going to be pain in our own stories. I think of my wife, Rebecca, sharing yesterday her own story and just getting that secret out. A lot of pain that she's walked through, but by getting it out there, we see the power of God able to restore and do something beautiful that we can't provide just by pleasure or money. I think of Father Shakur and his story as he shared with us. I mean, he didn't tell us the part of the story where he had the opportunity 
as the imagination for pleasure would say, to leave, to move to London, to live in the West, and to become a professor that was very well paid to talk about the Middle East. But what did he do? He decided he was going to go back to his homeland. He, this was not what God had for him, that he was going to go live amongst the conflict, that he was going to be somebody who created a new imagination for the youth of his country, for the youth of his community and his village, believing that God was going to use that to redeem and to renew all things. I think of Kim this morning telling us the story of the 11-year-old, right? Having sex 40 times a night. That for some men, pleasure is that. For some men, objectifying women brings pleasure to them in the short term. Yet in a long-term view, we, we see somebody like Kim giving her life and her skills and her talent to go help and see that pain redeemed. And she doesn't know what all the results are going to be, but she's faithfully trying to live it out. I think of Mark Burnett this morning, right? I mean, this is a perfect example, right? This is a guy who lives in Malibu, okay, makes a lot of money, but who decided in his own career that life wasn't about a pursuit of pleasure. It was about doing what God had called him to do. And so what does he do? He cashes in all of that reputation, cashes in a ton of his personal wealth to say, no, I'm going to go tell a story that's a painful story. Some people aren't going to like me. I'm going to lose some friends. But life's not just about me enjoying comfort and pleasure. It's about something much richer, much deeper. And so for you and for me, I don't know what that is for you. What, what I know for all of us is that for our kids, for the people that I walk by on the sidewalks, for the conversations that I'm having in my life with people who don't know Christ, they're hungry for a new imagination. They're longing for a new way to think about their role in the world. They're longing to understand what it means to be human. And you realize the Christian faith, you know, we're not just another faith that's trying to compete with 50 other faiths. We're not just trying to kind of give a better shtick and like say it better. And if we do the perfect presentation, as John said, that people are just going to come to Christ. No, the story we're trying to live out is the human story. This is the story. If we believe this is true, then it's true for every single human being. And I think some of us have a lack of confidence in that or we forget that. We get beat up a lot. People don't understand what we're trying to say. We're not communicating it well, but it if we understand that the, the, the story that we're trying to communicate, we're trying to live, is the story, then we can trust God to let that connect with the human heart. He's designed the human heart to long for Him. I'm so proud of this community. I'm so proud of the stories that we're hearing. I'm so proud of the stories I'm hearing that aren't up here on the stage, but from each one of you of how you've decided to give your life to go, instead of pursue pleasure, to, to walk through pain with others. To use your own stories to help redeem something in this world and allow God's power and glory to be known through that. And I just want to encourage you to keep up the amazing work. Keep realizing that the source for this is not you, it's Jesus. Let's celebrate what God's doing in this world. And let's pray that a new imagination starts to birth that 20 years from now we'll look back and realize that renewal is taking place within our world in a way most people could have never thought was possible because of Jesus. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and as you heard Gabe speak there, he was referencing several talks from the Q2013 conference. If you're at all curious to hear them, go to QIdeas.org. We have years of talks from our annual Q conferences like Q2013, as well as many of the Q Commons events. They're there for you to watch and to share as you seek to stay curious, think well, and advance good in your community.
Now, I just mentioned Q Commons. Those are events held in the fall in communities across the U.S., hopefully one near you, the next one, October 25th. And you can find out more information about that also at qideas.org. And at qideas.org slash summer series, you can learn more about our next Q&A live event coming up July 19th online on the topic of women, gender equality, and the church. All right, Gabe, let's get back to what we were talking about at the start of the show, the message by David Kinneman of Barna on the whole topic of our post-truth era. And it does sound a bit scary. Well, this is a new era for us. It's a world now where we talk about fake news in every other sentence, it seems, when we're watching entertainment or media or discussions culturally, where people just aren't sure who to trust. Can they trust authority anymore? Can they trust institutions? Can they trust our government leaders? Can they trust our church leaders? And frankly, many in the next generation feel like they can't. They feel like they've reached a point where we've gone beyond trust, and now they're trying to just figure out for themselves in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, what is real? What is really true? In 2016, in fact, the Oxford Dictionary named post-truth the word of the year. Now, if you put a hyphen in there, I guess we can call it one word, but the reality is we asked David Kinneman at Q this year to help us better understand what this means. What does it mean for the church? What does it mean for our children? What does it mean for the next generation? What does it mean for you and I to live in a space where some things that most people could have relied on as right and wrong, true and false, good and evil, moral or immoral, they were just understood as reality. But today it's all been thrown up in the air. There's a lot of questions about it. So how do we engage that? How do we come at that constructively? How do we actually consider how we can offer something new to the world in the midst of the questions that this actually creates? Well, let's listen in to David Kinneman now as he describes from their latest research some of the post-truth trends and what it might mean for us as Christians to engage a new generation who's living in that reality. The phrase post-truth is a tidy encapsulation of our current cultural moment, Uh, especially now in the screen age. It's so easy for the things that we read and the things that we see to routinely deceive us. The Russians understood this in 2016, maybe better than we understood it ourselves. And for leaders today, for communicators, for persuaders, for parents, I think it's more complicated than ever. These are a few of the the different issues that we think are making leadership more complicated, some of the post-truth trends that we're tracking. And we're going to have to learn a whole new set of tools and techniques and ways of thinking as leaders and communicators in this new reality. One of the things that we're finding in the research is that a majority of people now are turning inward to find truth. We ask people this question, whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can, you can know. This is, we asked it agree, disagree way. And we found that a majority of adults, three out of four millennials and two out of five practicing Christians agreed with this. People aren't really looking whether they trust or mistrust you. They, they, they want to know whether this confirms and corresponds to the things that they already think are true. Another trend that we're seeing is the fact that people are increasingly overconfident in the things that they believe, the things that they, their own ex- expertise and experience. Uh, we ask this question, who are you most likely to see as a credible news source? Actually, the full results are in your Q book, the page after my picture, I think. But one of the, one of the most common responses was that nobody, I trust my own instincts. I mean, one in three people say that's their most credible news source or their tribe, their family and their peers and their friends. 
So this thing about overconfidence is really interesting. What we're seeing in the research, there's this growing body of research now that shows that when you have a little information, it can actually make you overconfident. We see this all the time in our research about the Bible, for example. When people know a little bit about the Bible, they way overestimate their knowledge and expertise with the scriptures. People who visit, I love it, yeah, preach, I will. When we find, this is affecting doctors, that people come in now more and more to the doctor's office already having self-diagnosed. And so we're living in this interesting post-truth reality. All of us are trying to work with a different kind of environment. And so the third thing I want to mention to you is that people are increasingly insulated in their digital tribes, right? So we asked this question, um, which groups do you think it would be difficult for you to have a natural and normal conversation with? And when we show you these Muslims, Mormons, atheists, evangelicals, LGBT community, these all represent a minority, a small percentage of the total population. So we're asking all adults, who do you think it would be difficult for you to have a normal and natural conversation with? And you can see the most common was with Muslims. 73% of Americans say, don't know how to talk to Muslims. 60% say they don't know how to talk to Mormons. Um, 56% would have a difficult time having a conversation with an atheist. 55% with evangelicals. 52% with LGBT community. What's interesting is that our conversational structure, we're more social, but we're more disconnected in many ways. And we, we can slice the data by looking just at evangelicals. So check this out. Here's the percentage of evangelicals and what they say would be hard for them to have a natural and normal conversation. 87% with Muslims, a majority. The numbers are higher. I mean, this hurts my heart as a Christian, as an evangelical, because shouldn't we at least think we're good at this? I just want you to note that one quarter of evangelicals think they'd have a difficult time having a natural and normal conversation with an evangelical. Guilty, right? All right, so this is changing. What will we do as leaders in this new environment? And it's getting more difficult for us as leaders and persuaders, even as parents, to do this work. I mean, the tools that we usually use of trying to be really, really earnest, of of really, really saying something that means something, it makes you look like Michael Scott from The Office. And, And a lot of pastors and leaders are now saying, man, the tools that I use to try to convince people of things they don't seem to be working in the same way i have a colleague in the research industry who's doing a focus group for the soft drink industry and just a secular researcher and she said that she was running a focus group uh and she was asking the group members okay what should we name this new this new line of drinks and the the top rated suggestion back from the focus group was diabetes it's like guys that's not not, we got to we got to think outside the box here right In one of the exit interviews that we did with a young person who left the church, we asked, what about the youth pastor? What are the reasons that you maybe left? And what about your relationship with that youth pastor? You know, did you think that that person was a friend? Did they have your best interest in mind? And this young woman said, that person is paid to be my friend. It's just part of her job description. So this is part of what's challenging is how do we break through the suspicion, the the sense of like, I already know what's going on here. I I get it. Uh, How do we break through this? I have three suggestions. Uh, One is that we need to learn to voice people's questions and experiences. We need to be better listeners. Bobette did a great talk on that a few minutes ago. How can we as leaders not just understand people's, you know, thinking and their, their sort of their demographics, but how can we understand what they're feeling? And what they're experiencing. 
Research is, it's limited, but it's one of the most important tools we need to have today to really understand how we can get outside of our own limited frame of reference as communicators, as leaders, as pastors, as organizational leaders, even as parents, as neighbors. How do we really learn to listen to others? That's so important. A second thing is based on this understanding, not just based on what you want to communicate, but based on what we learn about what people are really feeling. Would there be a way for us to connect people to a compelling vision of truth? So, you know, from, from doctors, some of the doctors that I know, I was asking them some questions about this. And they said, you know, what I have to do now is say, hey, you know, the things that you came into my office that you think you knew about this disease, is you're not even really monitoring things the correct way, the way you've already self-diagnosed, the overconfidence you have about this. I can't say all those things. I just have to say that's an interesting perspective. I have to give them a different way to understand their experience. Maybe we move from saying, you know, the Bible says this, so you just have to trust it, to, you know, let let me help you understand how the Bible can interpret and help you understand and explain what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, how Ecclesiastes speaks to an ambitious age, how, 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 uh, you, you know, the wisdom literature helps us deal with many, many issues, how the scriptures help us understand who we are as humans, and most importantly, understand a compelling vision of truth in Christ. And then finally, we have to live it and be consistent. This is maybe one of the most difficult parts for this, but I, I'm just, as I see the research, as we look at some of the challenges that are coming up with millennials and Gen Z, the issues that they face, who in your life, who will you sort of hear from that helps you make sense of what, of, of, of how to be consistent and coherent in your leadership? A few years ago, um, my oldest, uh, she, she's now 18, so this is many years ago, but uh, I was at, had gone to church earlier than usual on a Sunday morning to teach one of the Sunday school classes, and she got up and was talking to my wife, Jill, this is my daughter, Emily. And um, I was not usually gone on Sunday morning, so she said to, to Jill, you know, where's Dad this morning? And I said, well, he's teaching the adults about Jesus. And she looked quizzically at my, my wife and said, he doesn't really know that much about Jesus, does he? <laughs> you got to live it. It caused me to think a little bit about what we might talk about at home in different ways. Listen, what I'm asking you to consider, uh, just from a stat guy, a nerd for Christ's sake here, uh, is there a way for you, is there a way for you to, to relearn, not to rely on power and prestige, your expertise, the things that you know really well? Are there ways for us to learn to do that do a different way of communicating today? Can we, can we learn to lean in to people's experience and really listen to what our culture is saying, to what our neighbors are saying? Can we give them a compelling vision of truth, especially now in a post-truth society? Thanks. David Kinnaman always challenges us, always helps us to think well, and, and really brings up hopeful ways that we can engage as parents, as members of our community, as people within our church to really understand that this is a different kind of environment. People are more disconnected than ever. And within that, there's an opportunity. And I think to you listening, many of you who listen to this podcast, you're leaders. You've been on this journey with us for many, many years. At Q, we've tried to talk and help you better understand the context that we're living in. And in the last decade, that context has changed dramatically. One of the things I get excited about with David is that it creates an opportunity when everything's kind of up for grabs again, when people aren't certain of anything anymore, when they're 
getting shattered when they think about their future or their dreams or the way they thought things ought to be. And they're starting to realize it's not working out that way. It essentially creates a crisis, an existential crisis that raises questions that sometimes we never hear in a lifetime or in a generation. And yet now we sit here this year knowing, man, people have a lot of questions. They don't know who to trust. They don't know where to find truth. For the first time, the world's saying, what is true? Well, this is an incredible opportunity for the church because we know where we can find truth. We know we can find truth in Scripture. We know we find it in the revelation from the Holy Spirit. We can know truth through our experience, confirming these great truths of morality, of the laws of God, of the way in which we were designed as human beings to function and operate that's revealed through Scripture. And so because we have this source for truth, we have something to offer the world in a moment when they don't know where else to look. Now, the key is, is that you and I can engage in those relationally, that we've built friendships and relationships where we find that people actually have some trust with us so that when they're going through that crisis, when they're asking some of these much more difficult, complex questions about the meaning of life, their purpose, why they exist, why something evil happened in the world that they don't understand or know how to explain, that we actually can bring something to that conversation. So that's our opportunity. And I just want to challenge you as a friend, as a fellow leader, as a Christian who's really trying to lead forward right now to not be discouraged by this post-truth moment, but to see the opportunity to continue to equip yourself to, to leverage the resources that we're curating at Q through our talks, through the content that you can read on our website at qideas.org. Look at what Barna Group is providing. If you go to their website, you'll see so much information and studies on trends and also how to think well about these things. We love partners like Barna who are doing this hard, good work, and together we can apply it as the church. And so thank you for listening today. I hope your July is off to a great start. Join us again when we have our next Q&A summer session that's coming up in another week where we're going to be talking about gender equality. You can learn more about that at qideas.org slash summer series, where we'll replay the talk by Ashley Matthews at the Q 2018 conference on this topic. And then we'll have a discussion with her about this, about how this can apply more into the church. And we'll have your questions coming into us uh, where you can using hashtag question for Q. You can ask us your questions about gender equality. We'll try to get to as many as we can. But we just thank you for being a part of this community, for continuing to learn and grow with us as we continue forward into the year. I hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll look forward to our next episode together. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.